Amen, amen, amen. So glad to be with you here this morning. My name is Andrew Storms. I am uh, one of the elders here at Antioch Community Church. It's so, such a privilege just to be with you this morning and worship. Wasn't the choir awesome up here? Isn't that awesome? I love that. So good. I was in choir way back in the 1900s in uh, middle school. And I actually, at the time, sang alto and auditioned for um, Behind Closed uh, Curtain and was rewarded with making the all-region girls choir at that age, yeah. So like I kind of outdid some of the girls at that age. And uh, obviously, through a little bit of maturing, my voice changed, and I was able to move from beyond singing the alto, right? So you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about that, though, that I wonder sometimes in the spirit realm, if we have accomplished victories in our life that our maturing has actually distanced us from them, and we realize that never again do we have to go back to that moment. I would never make an all-region girls choir again. It's impossible physically for me to do that. Amen? Thank God. But sometimes in the spirit realm, we want to hang our hats on some victory from a long time ago, and God said, I have matured you from beyond that point, and I want you to fight new battles. There's new enemies, and there's new territories to conquer in your life. So just let that be an encouragement to you. This morning, we are in week four of our six weeks series that we have titled Rooted. We're walking through our statement of beliefs here at Antioch Community Church. You can actually find those online. So we're going through their six main points. And so we're going to tackle one of those today. Uh, a few weeks ago, Mitchell Welch, our college pastor, spoke about man and salvation and really presented the gospel in its purest form that we are a sinful people that was in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ came to restore a relationship back to Father God. And in the second week, Chris Pletcher did a beautiful job of just showing the church and what we look like as we function as a local church body. And last week, Tyler Hardy, our lead pastor, spoke on the Lord's commands, and he, he basically went through baptism and then the Holy Spirit and how those two things work together. When we look in Scripture and we see redemption, we see salvation, we see it often married to the act of water baptism as we go underneath the water. If we have been crucified with Christ, as Galatians talks about, but as we have been buried with Christ, that we now come up out of the water and we are raised to newness of life. And I've always had this question in my mind as to why did Jesus need to be water baptized? Because you and I, we do it. It's more than just a symbolic act, but we receive salvation and then we are buried with Christ and we come up out of the water with him. But why would he need to do that? Because he actually himself is salvation. So I've always just kind of questioned that on my own journey with him. It's about six weeks ago, I was at a uh, birthday party with my family and a lot of other people. And my three-year-old son, Grant, really no faults of his own other than a lack of maturity and a, a lack of understanding um, the severity of the situation and not understanding dangers, he had removed his life jacket and he jumped into a swimming pool. And by the grace of God, I say that with all sincerity, I was standing there at the water's edge at the pool at that time. And so in an instant, I jumped into the water. I didn't worry about, you know, if my hair is going to get messed up or if my glasses were going to fall to the bottom. I didn't really care that my clothes were going to get soaking wet and that my shoes might be ruined or that the cell phone in my pocket would be ruined and I'd have to fork over another $2 million to buy another one. <laughs> it didn't really matter to me, right? So I jump into the water and I, I grab him. He was luckily only underwater for about a second, a second and a half. I saw him as he began to jump. And so I reached in there and I scooped him up and I grabbed him. And I picked him up and I was like, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I think so. And so we set him down and said, hey, you got to get your, your life jacket on. And I didn't think much of it. 
And then the next day as I'm processing this and just talking with the Lord, I, I realized first off that he was so gracious to allow me to stand there and see this happen. That the enemy had actually tried to design a day that would create Grant's death at that moment. I'm saying that with all sincerity. I know some of us have experienced tragedy beyond imagination. I'm not minimizing that. But in that instance, the Lord protected him. He protected Grant. And that was not his moment. That was not his time to die. Are you with me? And as I'm thinking about this, all of a sudden, the Lord begins to show me what it was like for him and the reason that he needed to be baptized. Because me, being the rescuer in that moment, I had to dive into the water to bring my son up out. And he showed me that in baptism, as we choose to be buried with him, if we had gone under the water and there was nobody there to rescue us, we would have been dead in our sins. We would be dead. We would go under the water with no hope. But he said, Andrew, I went in the water first so that any one of my children that wants to jump in and bury themselves with me, they might go down by themselves, but they're going to come up because I'm waiting for them in that water and I'm going to bring them back to newness of life. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Our mandate this morning is we're going to tackle one of the subjects from Rooted, and it is simply over the Bible. How narrow that sounds, right? Big, vast deal. Where are we going to go with this? What is this all about? I'm talking about the Scripture, the literal Bible, the written Word of God that we have. You know, some question the reliability of the text itself, whether or not it's been accurately transmitted over time. If you believe Shakespeare's works or Homer the Iliad and the Odyssey, those other great classical works, everything gets scrutinized and tested against textual criticism. How soon after the original was the first copy made? Are there gaps? Are there no gaps? We look at great classical works and we find that even in Shakespeare's writings, there was a gap of 900 years from the original text to when it was first hand copied. And even inside of there, there's gaps. Well, we know about scripture. And even though there's only a few of those around, that for this Bible, what we call the scripture that was founded in about 400 AD, that there are over 24,000 handwritten copies that all happened beginning in a year of only of a 30-year span from the first time it was created to the next time that it was copied. Scholars, theologians, people that study literature all the time that don't even believe necessarily the words of the Bible, there's no mistaking this text right here is reliable. It stands up to every single test that has ever been performed on it. It was written over a 1,500-year span throughout 40 generations, and it has about 40 different authors from all walks of life. We see kings. We see prophets. We see fishermen. We see tax collectors, doctors, lawyers. They all had a part to play when they listened to the Holy Spirit, and he spoke what it was that they were to write. Today, we find over 44 million copies printed each year in over 2,000 different languages. We have this book, these holy scriptures as we call them, and they pass every test. But where the literary tests prove its reliability, it's the opening up of this text, and it's the reading of this text that allows it to prove its validity. And my suggestion this morning is that we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to opening up our word and reading what the scripture has to say to us. You know, in my 39 years of life, there is one thing I'm quite certain of, that my Bible has never opened itself. Hasn't happened. Doesn't do that. You have to physically take this. You have to open it up and read because inside of it are the words of eternal life. 
Psalm 119 verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. Some being totality. The whole thing, all of it is true. I think what we have done in modern Christianity at times, we have wiped off the word the, and we've just said some of your word is truth. And we walk around like it's a, a buffet, and I can just take what I want. I don't want that part. I just want this part. But what he says, he shows us that it, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, by the way, the Revelation is not about the Antichrist, not about the end times. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what that book is about. That this whole thing, all of eternity, all of creation, all of this scripture, it all points back to Jesus. We see in the middle the picture of the cross, salvation, where Jesus came. In the New Testament, it's illuminated. In the Old Testament, it's a shadow. It's a picture of a type. So as Jesus here casts his light onto the cross, that's where we find the Old Testament. So if you open the Bible, but you've never opened the Old Testament, you're missing a huge piece of what Jesus is trying to show. He's trying to show us that all of creation and all of Scripture points to him. You can know a lot about this book and know absolutely nothing about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the scary part. But at the same time, that's the encouraging part. It takes faith to believe the Word of God. We know from Scripture itself, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. In Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We've also heard it said before, if you've been in church for a while, from Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that's in the King James Version. If you look at every other text, every other translation, it says it this way, that uh, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's not just some God, some random, you know, happy thought, pie in the sky, all that stuff. It is Jesus Christ. That's where we receive our faith. It's from a person, not from a page. You know, in order for, for Scripture to come alive inside of us, we can't just hope that whatever it says is true. You have to have the Spirit of God that speaks into your life. Jesus talks about that in the Gospels, that to worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible records saying that the, the Spirit of God says He wants to open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So as we open up this passage and we open up Scriptures... It's not just reading for our own knowledge and to gain more understanding, but the Spirit of God comes and illuminates what the Scripture is trying to say to us. I want to show you just briefly what it looks like in my life. If you feel like you're always on the defense in life, like things are always coming against you, and you don't really have anything to fight with, we know from the Word itself that it says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, like you can fight with this word. So what I have done in my life for the last few years is I've tried to put scripture inside of myself. What that looks like is memorization. It's not so that I can stand before you and quote scripture. It's not so that I can say I know more Bible than somebody else. But it does say in the Old Testament, this says, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And sin can be anything. It can be missing the mark of just what's going on. So as I dealt with anxiety in my life, over the last few years, I realized that Scripture combats it. I have the sword of the Spirit. So when I come against anxiety, I just quote Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can say that because I know it inside of myself. 
The Spirit of God brings it to my remembrance, and I can spit it out because I've memorized the Word of God. If I'm struggling with something and I'm just like, God, I need some grace, he reminds me, and he says, Andrew, go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is a helpful scripture. It's the Word of God illuminated into my life. I have four little kids, seven-year-old, five-year-old, three-year-old, and one-year-old. If any of you know anything about kids, you need a little bit of wisdom to raise your kids. I need some wisdom. So when I need wisdom, I just think about James 1.5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. I screw up all the time. God said, you need wisdom? Just ask. I'm not going to count anything against you. Just ask. He says, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you generously. What does wisdom look like? It says later on in James 3.17 that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I know that because I memorize it. It's inside of my spirit. Again, it's not to impress people with Scripture. It's so that I can speak it. In the dark places in my life when nobody's listening, that's what I come back to is the Word of God. It says in Hebrews that the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Anybody ever have trouble with their flesh, their emotions getting in the way of what you're wanting to do spiritually? It says that the word of God is able to divide that. It says, I divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The scripture that comes alive, it's the sword of the spirit. I don't always have to be on the, the defensive with the enemy. I can fight them back because that's what the spirit of God wants us to do. Amen? I know there's a lot of people here that probably know a lot more Scripture than I do, but I'm telling you, you have to know it for yourself inside of your heart. You've got to get it in you to fight this battle that we come across in life. Just for the next few moments, I just want to encourage you this morning with what I feel like that the Bible, there's three things that it does for us. It's not the only three things. It's just three things I feel like the Lord has highlighted to me for today. If you're taking notes, the first thing that the Word of God does for you is that it rescues you. To rescue means to free from confinement, from danger, or from evil. I love this verse in Psalm 119, beginning in verse number 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Anybody ever dealt with any affliction in your life? When things come against you, you need that rescue. Like my son did. He needed to be rescued from a dangerous situation. That's what the psalmist says here. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. That's it. Didn't say your strength. Didn't say your might. Didn't say your miracles. Didn't say... I hope this happens. He says, your word has been my delight. That is what has brought me out of my affliction. A more famous verse from the same chapter, but in verse number 105, it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Have we ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you did. Good, everybody's awake. Almost everybody. What it says in that scripture there is that he has the ability to illuminate our path. Have you ever noticed that to need a lamp or to need a light, that means you're in a dark place? And so that's what the scripture is doing is it's illuminating where you can't see what's coming next. Even in Psalm chapter 23, it says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow 
of death. He said, there's no reason to fear because I am with you. It is a rescuing word. It shows us what's in front of us. To prove that point a little bit further, before we move to the second point, we know that the enemy, Satan, our adversary, the one that comes against us, he alone attacks the word of God. When we find him in the Garden of Eden and we see him talking to Eve and and to Adam, he's trying to tempt them. He doesn't come to Eve and say, hey, you're this horrible person. I can make you better. The first thing he does, he attacks the word of God. He said, did God actually say? It's the first words out of his mouth. He's testing her. And so he begins to sow a little bit of doubt into her mind, and she didn't combat it back with a word. She just kind of took what he was saying, and we all know what happens after that. Adam did the same thing. They just keep asking, did God say? Did God say? Did God say? And so where that slip-up cost us, huge, huge. We're all sinful people because of it. Before we receive the grace of Jesus Christ, we have that sinful nature because the first Adam did not understand the word of God. But praise God, there's the last Adam that Scripture talks about that is Jesus Christ. And we know that when he was baptized, like we talked about, and he came up out of the water and he had the Holy Spirit, it says that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. After 40 days of not eating, not drinking, the enemy comes to him. And listen to what he does. He begins to talk to me. He says, hey, if you are hungry, why don't you talk to that stone and turn it into bread? How many of you know that Jesus Christ had full ability to turn that stone into bread? But instead of stepping outside and doing what he wanted to do, he submitted to the Father, and how did he fight back? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, where the enemy attacked the word, where he tried to get him to step outside of the authority of the Father through the written word of God, Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not taking that temptation. I'm going to stick true to what I know. And the three temptations he walked through, he always combated it with the scriptures. He understands that the rescuing word of God is in the written word of what God had spoken. Amen? So the first thing is is that it rescues. Secondly, the word of God revives. It revives. Revives means to restore to life or to consciousness. Psalm 119, verse number 49 says, Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. It has brought me back to life. Have you ever just felt spiritually weak, like you're just kind of going through the motions. Again, we said that the word of God, it's alive, that it's active. We know that in the Old Testament, that the children of Israel wandering through the desert, it said that they rained down manna to bring, that they would eat it. It was their bread. It was what they had daily. And in the New Testament, Jesus speaks that. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the manna that came from heaven. And so he said, that's the same thing that your ancestors ate in the wilderness. It's me now. So I'm submitting to you that if you feel like you're in a dry place spiritually and you're just not awake, I'm challenging you. I'm going to ask you, have you been eating your daily bread? The daily bread is the word of God. It's Jesus Christ. It's spending time with him. It's not a legalistic thing. I didn't say, hey, did you eat last night? Well, I had to eat last night. You needed to eat last night. Amen. You're not going to go three weeks without eating. But we do it in the spirit realm. That's not what God has designed for us. If you show up on a Sunday morning hoping that me and myself, I've got enough to last you for the week, you are sadly mistaken. 
I don't have that inside of me. Jesus has ordained it. He has set it up to where you can go get it for yourself. The same night that my son Grant decided to jump in the swimming pool, my oldest son, Drew, he's seven years old. We're at this party, and there's food, and there's games. We're doing all that stuff, and every opportunity to eat. I probably had two plates of food. We get in the car that night. We're on the way home, and Drew said, hey, Mommy, Daddy, I didn't eat dinner tonight. I said, really? With all that food sitting out? I, you're seven. Did you need me to go get it for you? No, I just, I just didn't eat it tonight. I said, buddy, that's, that's kind of on you. I mean, you're old enough. You can do it yourself, and we moved on about, but you know why he didn't eat that night? He was distracted. He wanted to go play. Wanted to go be with his buddies, go jump in the pool, go jump on the trampoline. How many times in our lives do we get so distracted, we get so taken off of where we are that we forget to eat our spiritual food? And then we wonder why everything's going crazy. And we wonder why we're so weak. Oh, I'm just having a hard week. Oh, it's so bad. I know. Open your Bible. Read your Bible. Get the Word of God inside of you. Did I say everything's going to turn out great? It will in the long run, but it might not for a couple days. But if you get the word inside of you, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just so nervous. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace comes. He didn't even say he'd ever answer that prayer. He just said, pray it, and then I'll give you peace. That's what the word of God does. It's alive. You've got to go eat it for yourself. He says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. What if he would have said monthly bread? We'd have been off the hook. But he didn't. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus Christ, it's not a word of condemnation. It's a word of invitation. He wants you to come and eat of him every single day. How do we do that? Not in totality, but partly it's opening up the Bible and reading and putting the word of God inside of you. Psalm 119, verse 107, it says, I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. It revives us. It revives us. So the first thing is the word of God, it rescues. Secondly, it revives us. And the third point where we'll begin to wrap up is that it reminds us. It reminds us. I think in a room this large, looking around and seeing several adults, I have to imagine that some of you have been on a journey with the Lord your entire life or your entire life from the time that you were old enough to make that decision. And I know that God speaks things into our lives, sometimes a prophetic word or sometimes just a word of encouragement. And we feel like, Things just aren't always working out from the way he told us. Anybody with me on that? I feel like there's some promises that God has spoken over me personally that I have not seen them come to fruition. But the word of God is there to remind us that he's spoken those words, that he is true, and that he is faithful to those words. Paul, he had his protege there, Timothy. It was his son in the Lord. And we find in the book of 2 Timothy as he's writing to him, Paul is imprisoned in Rome at the hands of some people that have treated him very, very badly. And now Timothy is left alone in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter and saying, Timothy, I know these guys. I know the harm they did to me. I know how they threw me into prison, and they got me in trouble. These guys are bad dudes. They're false teachers. They're trying to move you away from everything that I've ever told you, from anything you've ever seen. He said, don't be overwhelmed by them. He said, I want you to go back. Go back to what you know. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse number 14. It says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And from how infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you know that there are answers to life that can be found right here? Amen? Yeah. I'm a school teacher by trade, and it irritates me at times when a student of mine may ask a question that they want the answer to, but just because they're too lazy to go look it up. So as a good teacher, I don't give them the information. I remind them there is a place that has been provided for you in your text where you are welcome to go find that for yourself. I say that in a loving way to mature them. The Spirit of God does the same thing. Will he speak to us through the, the spoken rhema word of God? 100%. And it's valid and it's real. But there are times when you say, I'm just not hearing from God. You don't have to hear from him. You can open up and read the scripture. The Holy Spirit will illuminate and he'll begin to speak through. So you always have this at your disposal. Sometimes you just have to go look up the answers in the book for yourself. I'm not wise enough to give my advice to make a hill of beans in your life, but I promise you, if you open up the scripture and you read what it says, you will find life flowing from the pages. One of the most popular verses going around now, almost cliche, but it's still so, so true, is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope, give you a future. I'm not going to harm you, all those things. But it speaks, and when we when we see that scripture, we think of it kind of in a futuristic term, like God has plans for me. He's not going to harm me. He's going to give me a future. He's going to give me a hope. But my question is, where does that future begin? At what point in your life do you now step in to the future? Because if we're just waiting for five months or five years, we're kind of wasting our time. But I want you to know that no matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter where you are, our God is big enough to start those plans right now, right now. He is not a futuristic God. He is a right now God. He's not waiting on you to get better. He wants to use you right now. Paul figured it out because he said, even in my weaknesses, your strength is made perfect. So if you're waiting, you said, hey, I'm just a freshman at A&M or I'm a grandmother. Life has passed me by. Doesn't matter. He wants to use you right now. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a present scripture that is valid for every Christian that professes to know Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and that is the God that we serve. There's some of us in here, as I spoke a minute ago, that have a word of God over our lives, and we just haven't seen it come to pass. I want to very gently submit to you that in your lifetime, it might not happen. I know that sounds so wrong. It sounds against what we've been told is that, well, God promised you it's going to come through. The problem with that thinking is, is that when you and I make the determination that he has to do something in our lifespan, we don't understand eternity very well. Because the day we breathe our last on earth is not our last day spent with Jesus Christ. He is more than capable of taking that word and fulfilling it in your lifetime because your life never ends. It even says that in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the faith chapter. They list out all the heroes of faith. Talk about Abraham and Noah and Moses and all these guys that did these great exploits. It actually says at the end of the chapter, it says that none of them received what was promised because God had something better for us. It says that apart from us, their lives and their mission and their promises would be incomplete. You can look it up. It's at the back of Hebrews chapter 11. That's astounding to think that Abraham's promise was not fulfilled in his earthly lifetime, but in eternity it has been fulfilled because he was waiting on me and he was waiting on you to be the fulfillment 
of that word. You may have a word over your life that you're going to do some great exploit, and that's amazing, and that's great. But if you don't see it in your lifetime, it's because God has something better for your seeds, for your descendant, for your children. As a father, as a mother, as a parent, you see that way more clearly. It's difficult for you young guys to see that. But there are things that God has called me to that I'm okay as long as I stay true to God. If he wants to work that out in Drew or in Grant or in Gracie or in Lincoln, my kids, I don't care. That's fine. I just want it to happen. Okay? Our life is eternal. As we wrap this up, I just want to share a quick story from Luke chapter 24. It's dealing with the scriptures. We find Jesus. It's on the day of his resurrection. He has gone to the cross, and now he is resurrected. And on the very first day, he chooses to walk down a road with two men. He has hidden himself from them. They don't know exactly who he is, but they're walking up and down the road. And they're going to Emmaus. It's about seven miles away. And it says in the scripture in Luke 24 that as they're on the way, he begins to speak about himself in all the scriptures, all the things the prophets said. He, he tells them about himself, but they don't have any idea or any clue who he is. And as they near the end of their journey, Jesus acts like he's going to go away. Hey, guys, nice meeting you. I'll see you later. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come, come, come inside with us. Come inside with us. Come eat with us. I said, okay, okay, I'll come in. And they go in and Jesus begins to break bread and he takes the bread and he he breaks it after he blesses it and he gives it to them. And it said, bam, their eyes are open and they understand, wow, that's Jesus. And he disappears from their sight. And so they're, they're, they're hysterical. They're like, wow, that, I told you, I knew, that was, I knew that was somebody special going down that road. It said, we're not our hearts burning inside of us when we heard that message. As this guy was speaking, I knew there was something about him that was strange. Like, that was Jesus. Like, wow, that's crazy. So they run back all the way to Jerusalem. And they're going nuts, and they run in the house, and they're telling their buddies, you will not believe what just happened to us on the road. We were trying to go to Emmaus, and this guy came up beside us, and he's telling us, and he broke his breath. And they're like, slow down, slow down. What, what's going on? What's going on? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the room. He, like, walks through the wall at that very instant, and they're all freaking out. He's like, I told you. Look, he's right there. He's right there. And so he comes through, and listen to what he says to them. He says, this is what I told you. I'm in verse 44 of Luke 24. It says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then one of the greatest verses gives us the most encouragement. It says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. As you are on a journey with Jesus and as you have walked the road, some of you haven't even realized it's been him walking beside you this whole time. You've been questioning. You've been wondering, who is this? What's that feeling I keep getting Every time somebody prays for me, as I go to church, as I read my Bible, what is that? And as we come and we invite Jesus in, and he shows us who he is, we commune with him, and we eat with him, and we break the bread, and we drink the juice, and we see that who he is, that he begins to open up our minds, and he unlocks the scriptures, and they're like, that's what it was all about. You're talking about the, the old prophets and the Psalms? He's like, yep, it was all about me. Everything's always been all about me. And they understood that. And they moved from that place with passion for who Jesus was. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Y'all can remain seated for just a few more minutes as we close. No, we're looking at the Bible. Right here, you can go to most any bookstore and buy it. And if all you heard today was there's a book you need to buy, you need to open it up and read a little bit, it'll help you out. You have totally, totally missed every point of what we're trying to say. It'd be a total miss on my part 
if that's what you walked out saying, I hope I read my Bible a little bit more. Should you want to read your Bible a little bit more? Absolutely. As you follow after Jesus, should it be your life? Should it be your daily bread? 100%. 100%. But being a school teacher, we had the privilege this last week of reading about the invention of writing, where it came from. We discovered that in about 3200 BC, in the area known as Mesopotamia, you had the Sumerians, and they were getting into arguments and discussions about trade. And this guy would say, well, I paid you three bushels of barley. And this guy said, no, you didn't. You only paid me two. He's like, I paid you three. And he said, well, we got to figure out some sort of system, something where we can keep track of that. So that's where they get their little tick marks from. One, two, three, four, bam, five. We know what I'm talking about here. And so as they kept going, they realized, wow, this is kind of helpful because now we're going to keep an accurate record of what's been going on. Hey, I don't even know what an artist is, but I think I know what drawing is. Wow, and they start drawing a bird. Like, what does this look like? Bird, yes, bird, let's do it. Anybody else want to come up with something? They drew cattle. Hey, that looks like cattle. And so what we see are all these symbols. And they see that they're, they're getting excited about it, and it spread over into to Egypt. You had your hieroglyphics and all that stuff, and you see all these symbols. They were like, what is that saying? But it was fascinating to read was that they started writing and they started showing all of these things, but they noticed that they got stuck at a certain point. And what happened was there was no way, or they hadn't yet figured it out how to draw or write emotions or feelings. They said, how do we, how do I write truth? Like, how do you draw truth? How do you draw righteousness? What, what symbol would I use that somebody says, joy, I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Like, what are you, what are you gonna do when you write all those things down? So they got stuck and they weren't really sure what to do. And I say this gently for really the sake of making the point, but I wonder if God in his infinite, in, in his infinite might, if he's up there in heaven and he has created this writing, he's given some of the scripture to Moses and he's given it to Jeremiah and Isaiah and King David. Maybe he gave it to Matthew, Mark, you know, Luke and John later on, but early on in the Old Testament, these guys were just like, nobody's getting it. He spoke to Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, all those books, they just fell short. Like if that's all we read and we don't understand what it's saying, it's like, eh, nice book. This is not a novel, guys. But I wonder if God and his wisdom knew that words on a page can only say so much. But I need these guys to understand righteousness. I need them to understand what joy is. I need to somehow show them what I'm talking about. Anybody with me this morning? I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Listen to what John 1.14 says. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now it all makes sense. The Word became flesh among us is Jesus. This is all about a person. It's not about reading a book. It's about Jesus Christ. The Son of God became flesh. He is the Word became flesh and has dwelt among us. As you stand to your feet, I want to remind you that everything we've talked about, talked about that the Word of God, that it rescues, that it revives, and it reminds, now let's turn our hearts on, let's turn our spirits on and realize that if the word 
became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not the words on the page that rescue us. It's not the words on the page that revive us. It's not the written word of God that reminds us. It's Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one that rescues us. He's the one that went in the water before you. He's the one that went into the tomb before you. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I have to ask you this morning in this group, is there anybody that needs Jesus to come and rescue them today? In the Old Testament, we see the picture of Christ. It's the blood over the doorpost. The death angel is going to pass over. But God says, he said, if I see the blood on the doorpost, I'll, or on the doorpost I will pass over you. It didn't say if you understand the blood. It didn't say if you lived better, if you tried harder. It said if I see the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, what he did was he came and he died a death on a cross so that you and I might have life. And all we have to do is just say, I receive the blood. I receive the rescuing of Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's you today. Or maybe you just need revived in your spirit. You know, like myself, when I run into times where I feel like I'm just needing to be revived, really where that starts is repentance. That God, I've gone outside of your authority and I've tried to fulfill my life with things that just don't satisfy. I've been distracted. I've been a little bit too busy. Maybe that's you today. Or perhaps you just need to be reminded that it's not words on a page. It's a relationship that he paid for, he shed his blood for, he died for you. He wants to remind you of promises that he has given to you in your life. If you're one of our life group leaders or on our prayer team, I'm gonna ask that you quickly make your way up to the front. Again, I hope with all sincerity that this challenges you and it stirs you to go home and read more. But as you begin to open up the scriptures, I want you to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to me with these scriptures. Because if he speaks to you, he's got some great things to tell. If you try to do it in your flesh, you cannot do that. You cannot read the word of God alone. It doesn't work. It's just a book. But as he begins to illuminate, begins to place things in your heart, memorize those things, write them down, journal them, speak. Speak the words of life. Speak the words of truth. And as he begins to, to speak words into you, you'll know. The, uh, what I found fascinating is the more you read this, the more you're able to distinguish what's the voice of the Lord and what's not. Because when he speaks to you and he speaks to me, I can align it with scripture really quickly. And if I can't, I just say it's not God, it's not him. The answers to life are right here, but they come from a living being, not a piece of paper. Can you say amen to that this morning? If you need any prayer this morning after I pray in just a moment, feel free to come. If you need that rescuing, I have prayed literally for specific people this morning to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time ever. They just surrender and say, today is the day. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand it. But there's something about that blood you said that I want on the, the doorpost of my life. He is here to give that to you. If you just need to be revived and just need prayer, these guys are here. They're not perfect. They need reviving too, just like me. You say, I just, I've just been lazy. They want to pray strength into you. Or just come up and say, I just need to be reminded. And they'll speak scripture. They'll pray for you. And they'll just love on you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we just are so honored that you didn't stop at words on a page, but that you came 
and you gave your life, that sacrifice that Chris read to open up the, the, the service, Lord, that you did it once for all. You did it once. We don't have to come and, and offer sacrifices of bulls and rams and goats like they had to before you came, but you said, I am the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, I thank you that you are the word of God, that you are the word become flesh, that you've been here all along. I pray that you would stir my friends' hearts, my brothers, my sisters, to come and know you and to come in a deeper relationship with you, God. Speak to them on a daily basis. May they open up the scriptures and find that you are still living. You are alive and active today in their lives. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.